Welcome to In Conversation With. Join me, Danny Jarvis, as I sit down with guest DJs, promoters, record labels, content makers, and anyone making moves on the underground house music scene. There's plenty of nostalgia, but there's also some key insights as to where the underground scene is today. So if you like what you hear, please hit the follow or subscribe button and leave us a review. Wherever you will listen to your podcasts, at the gym, in the car, or chilled at home. Relax and enjoy In Conversation With. So, Mr. Roger. Mr. Jarvis, thank you very much for having us. Welcome. Welcome to this different room. Casa, Casa Jarvis. Yeah, you've, I got know, the, you've got the little armchair. You've only, let, you only ever really let me in the garage. I know, yeah. <laughs> or the back garden, which I don't, I don't know what that's You're about You're out of the stranger zone now. I am, I am from the rough part of Gateshead. So. You're allowed up the stairs. <laughs> And you can see the other, like, inner, inner workings. The inner workings. The safe's the, behind yeah. the painting, just yes. in case you... Good to, you, good to know. Yeah, in case you do want to, like, suddenly yeah. bust that Emergency exit straight out of the window. Yeah, yeah. All, all good robbers <laughs> know where the, where the painting is, where the safe is, and where the window is. So thanks, yeah, thanks for coming over. Um, was dying to get you on board to, to have a chat. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, one of my personal favourite people on the, on the scene in terms of what you do and think about music so you, me, you always make me blush when you say that oh <laughs> i can't see because of the shadows in the room i know I so you're all right like, you can... i just look like a kind of like an egg sitting in the corner <laughs> you, can, you can blush away so tell us um a little bit about your your origin story how you got into into music in general yeah um i i've, I've been into music as, as long as i can remember to be honest my when i was a kid uh, and i'm talking when i was like you know three four five there was always music in the house um my mom was a 60s kid you know i had me when she was quite young so there was you know growing up in the 80s i was born in 83 so there was like in our house we used to have i've had to write this down on my phone because i'm, I'm just like there's that much music that's just like coursing through through my life at the minute but i've guns and roses most people will will know i grew up as a small child on guns and roses van halen queen Simple Minds, Bon Jovi, um, you know, the, the Aussie guys in excess. But when I was growing up, there was all of this stuff always on in the house, but it was always really loud, really. And it, so was that radio, Nick, or was that your parents had the CDs, the vinyls, was, what was it? That was me, ma- so my mum and dad had the vinyls, but they had one of those Technics stacked systems. Oh, nice. It was very, very nice. And, and I always remember it went up to 10, and every weekend, you can guarantee, 5 or 6 o'clock on a Friday... It would be pushing eight already, and then by you know by the time I had to go to bed, it was ten, and it was like tough. You know, you put up with the music, you can hear it through the floorboards, go to sleep. Neighbors were deaf, were they? It, pretty much like NASA's. Well, they, the guys, the guys that were kind of because we were on like a, like a, like a semi, like a little semi, and there was a gap between us and the house that way, like to the right hand side. And the guys that were on joining us, there were a little old couple, and they were deaf as a doorpost. So it didn't, it didn't matter. Yeah, so you it are like matter. NASA. That's yeah. always the same. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is how people should find houses. Should clearly just go and knock on the door, see if the neighbours are deaf. And, yeah, we're moving in here. So subversively, that's always how I've, I've kind of assessed anywhere that I've lived. I've been like, <laughs> how if I move into this house, how loud can I have the music before somebody complains? Well, this is the big thing with music is that. We all know it's like, it's, it's power comes with volume. And, you know, whether it's lyrics, bass, guitar, rhythm, 
melody until it's like turned up to a level, especially when you're a kid, yeah. where you're kind of almost a bit scared. It's like, ooh, ooh, ooh. This you is get really that, loud. You get you get that kind of fuzzy feeling in your stomach, yeah. and it's like, am I doing something right? or doing something wrong? And it's that sort of. It was that that bit that it was always like, okay, I'll turn it down a little bit now. I'll turn it down a little bit now. So, do you think, like most people, that your jam becomes whatever you're you're exposed to at that age? I think it has. Oh, been. massively, yeah, massively. Um, I mean, like I said, because you know we had like loads of rock records in the house. Like we, you know, my mum had a. A big sideboard in the sitting room and it was literally just front to back it was about two three meters wide full of full of vinyl just full of 12 inch records wow so i used to i, I when i was maybe like eight or nine i got a, a, a little record player for my for my room and i used to steal records nice. and I, I but i used to steal them based on like what the what was on the cover mm, yeah. so there was a shot a shot a copy of um of uh, the, uh, the beatles i can't remember what album it was but I always loved the cover had like it used to take the top part off and there was an, an underneath bit but the top part had cutouts. Oh right. And I, I always see. loved the fact that, you know, there was kind of like you were it was like Christmas, you're almost like unwrapping a present. Yeah. And then there was loads of different bits and pieces and there was some of our stuff was like really weird and really kind of psychedelic and like a lot of the like the Def Leppard album covers are, are just like, you know, quite grotesque yeah, you yeah. know fascinating you know. to a child yeah yeah, yeah. And, 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 I, and I love that I love that um, so I used to I used to steal those um, and then and I've brought some records with this so of bear course. with me of yes. course I've brought some records with me um, and then I heard this so I have with me an original 1978 pressing of Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds oh fantastic and Nick you... this is <laughs> this, you, listen you're not going to believe this I've got and one downstairs. Got, bet, yeah, yeah. It's not mine actually. Us. It's Emma's. But we've got the same thing now. That's nineteen seventy eight year I was born. That's my mum's. Oh, she hasn't seen it for like twenty odd years. She has <laughs> She doesn't know you've I got it. Know, that's why. She doesn't know where it went. <laughs> you've half inched it. But this, 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 the, the and this oh, is, and, and this, this particular sentiment has kind of stayed with me throughout the last like 25, 30 odd years. When I've got in, you've got into DJing, and I've, I've kind of come full circle and started collecting music again, is that you know you open it up and it's not just a CD sleeve, it's not just artwork on a phone. There's a there's a, a proper proper little booklet inside, and so it's got tea so stains those, and all sorts of So for those people who can't and, see, what Nick's passed me is. Um, you know, massive what what you used to call gatefold, didn't you? Gatefold yeah. double vinyl yeah. with, with a really really impressive. Um, booklet inside the quality of it I mean it's as old as me this right 45 oh, yeah. years old and it's perfect like you say the artwork all the original stuff it's funny isn't it because what what this demonstrates even just by having it in my hand is that the fascination starts even before you hear anything yeah I used to and this still is, is the same today like my my fascination with vinyl is that I, I love that feeling when you get something and you take it out the bag for the first time, whether it's brand new and you open it and you peel off the cellophane, or whether it's used and like you take it out the bag and all of these kind of like all of these smells come with it. And not not in like a weird way, not in like a, you know. No, I know what you mean. The although paper, I've bought plenty the paper. of those records as well, where there's a certain smell come out of them. But <laughs> <laughs> after party smell. Yeah, but there's 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 all sorts of there's all sorts of stuff that that it brings with it, and part CBS. of this was like. 
super nick as well isn't yeah it? It, but this nick. was this was th- this was released this was bought five years before i even existed six years before i even existed and i and i love that i love that there's something that i'll probably have for the rest of my life that was here before i was and will probably be here hopefully will be here depending on where my record collection ends up um after i'm after i'm gone yeah what a beautiful souvenir and obviously not just the fact that you've owned it the fact that it's kind of an heirloom as well yeah and it's it's survived i don't know how many car trips up and down motorways moving house just survived me having all of it which is a, a good <laughs> an interesting thing um so yeah I, I, it, it, but it's all that sort of stuff it's the artwork that i used to love and i used to just pick something that i liked put it on and play it and I used to bounce around on, on my bed with a like a, a, a tennis racket, doing air guitar to like In Excess and Michael Jackson and and then kind of like late nineties, kind of uh, sorry late eighties, early nineties. Um, my mom, my mom and dad were friends with um, some people who lived kind of across the road from us on our estate, and their their friend Steve uh, was a mobile DJ. Ah, here we go. Yeah, there you go. That's. It, it's ultimately for it's, me going down that it, it's probably his fault um, in a lot of ways he, he, he won't know it um, he might be listening to this uh, if, you are, if you are brilliant cheers Steve um, <laughs> but he um, uh, we, we hung out with them because they were um, you know they were the same sort of stuff as my parents their kids were the similar you know similar sort of age to, to me and me, me and my sisters as well um, so we had a lot of things in common and then because he used to go off and do mobile discos and this was you know like up at Burnett Field in like a you know like a community hall like you know the bottom end of Gateshead in some like little, you know back room of a pub and, and stuff like that it wasn't glamorous in the slightest he'd no. turn up with his, his like his twin you know his twin deck Citronic style um, you know double turntables and it was literally there was there was because uh, I, I, I saw it I, I saw a similar one on eBay a few weeks ago and there's literally just like faders and then something for the mic and that, that's it it's as basic as you can get it's all you needed wasn't it? but it's all you needed and he he was he was playing mainly chart stuff, so yeah. you know Michael Jackson, Kylie, Madonna stuff. Seven inches. Yeah, all all, all seven inches. Sometimes twelves if it was a particularly kind of you know big big hit or yeah. if it was something a bit weird. Um, but I always remember kind of like really early early nineties. He started playing like a lot of dancier stuff. And something was just like. Clicked. Yeah, straight up, straight off the so, bat. I think yeah, we, we there's a there's a slight age difference between yourself and, and me, but this is a pivotal point. Is that I think, whenever I've discussed this with other people, yeah, is that dance music, you know, the primary thing that we're connected by. There's no getting around it. When it became more mainstream, a little bit more mainstream, more accessible. Mm was that early 90s period. And I think key tracks at school discos were just so standout. But I also remember things like um, Young MC, Know How. Um, Tracks like that kind of got mixed up with dance tracks. And it it was really in its infancy, wasn't it? Because the commercial stuff was kind of... It was like bumped up together. Yeah, and it, but one track you'd be like, Whoa. you had you, you 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 I mean like the stuff I used to listen to. You had like stuff like Two Unlimited, um, yeah. you know, um, it was a uh, it was a Culture Beat, um, yeah. you know, Delight, all of that sort of stuff. You know, all the stuff that everybody knows, 
in you know nowadays it's like it's very commercialized stuff but back then it was like it was on the fringes of being on like top of the pops and you know and that sort of stuff it wasn't a band it was people with keyboards doing things that were weird mm-hmm. but it was quite accessible as well it wasn't quite a natural carry on from like your rhythmic sort of synth 80s unashamedly I was a massive Pet Shop Boys fan massive yeah because it could just have been as simple as that was a tape my brother bought me for my birthday that year. I think it was like around about 87, 88 maybe. I liked the Eurythmics. So I was clearly a bit like you're sort of describing this kind of keyboardy synth thing instead of the classic electric guitar lead singer band. It was interesting as well because not everybody... People danced, right? So people danced to rock or danced to pop in the 80s. But this also brought around a totally different kind of dancing, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. When we used to go to these discos, like it, it, there'd be certain certain stuff that he, that, that that would get played. Like the first time he played, um, he used to play at the KLF. Yeah. The first first time I heard um, Shaman Ebenezer Good. Yeah. There was maybe like twenty people in the room. It was like a kids party. It's really it fast record as well, isn't it? And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he and then he played he played Ebenezer Good, and at the time I was like you know, knew all the lyrics, doing all the rave moves and all this sort yeah. of stuff. And it's only as you get older that you're like, oh, actually, there's a lot more going on in that record and there's a lot more that the record's saying. Yeah. But on the surface, when you're like, you know, eight, nine, ten, it, that doesn't matter. Yeah, you, you know. it, it, that's a good point. I, I do think this is something that's the joy of music, is that when you're younger, this is my experience, it may not be yours, but I heard the melody... I heard the words, I heard them, but I didn't give them any meaning. Didn't understand them. Didn't understand them. So the melody for me was a huge part of it. And maybe that's, maybe that's why dance music translated to me is because I wasn't too bothered about lyrics. Yeah. Certainly wordy stuff. I mean, I had a brief flirtation like many kids did when sort of Ice-T came about and NWA, we'd, we'd get tapes off people's older brothers and was full of swearing so you could only really play it on your headphones it was scratchy and bumpy and I liked it but I didn't I couldn't relate to it yeah and you know once you'd sort of heard that there wasn't access to lots of it so you kind of like quickly got rid of it because dance music started to move at quite a pace so you'd kind of look for sources for more dance music I wouldn't look for more rap but I don't know if you remember there was um there was a mix, a very infantile mix series called... I'll have to look it up on Google so I'm going to embarrass myself. And it would be like a half an hour tape, but it would be all mixed. be like a massive mix medley. Oh, I'll, I'll have to look it up. I've, uh, do you know what? There's, that was that, that style of stuff where it's like, you know, just a, like a double-sided tape that's like just crammed full of stuff. That was my proper first... Okay, now I'm kind of starting to like suss out what I like mm. you know like with the with the poppy stuff like 2 Unlimited were great it, you know they were very much of their time but there was bits I always enjoyed the, the more melodic parts of their songs yeah. and the, the words I'd you know sing and shout along to and, and stuff but I always liked I always liked the breakdowns I always liked the bits after the first kind of chorus is done where it's into the you know when it's in a club it's like you know it's into the, the proper sort of head down and, and that sort of stuff but like when it's on the radio it doesn't really translate no, it was, of course. It was those kind of, and it was short spans of time as well. It was like that that sort of 15 second to 30 second gap where there was no singing on this radio edit. I was like, 
I like that. But it was almost the most experimental bit, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like they went, right, we'll do all this. Just, we just yeah, just, just loop it up a bit and then, uh, then that's fine, yeah. We'll um, press all the buttons. It, yeah. Um, so that was that was always the bit that, that I enjoyed the, mo- like the most. And like, my parents used to listen to it and be like, there's no words, there's no singing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, there's, there's not. So, okay, so we, we get to this period where you're starting to gather your tastes right so what was the real record that took you from what everybody could listen to to something that was like maybe more off grid um i'd say the simpsons do the bartman but I, that would be a lie um that was the <laughs> that was the first record i ever bought um really I, yeah yeah the final seven yeah seven inch wow. yeah um yeah from woolies and gated and it was like i think it was like 399 something like that um, no, uh, to be honest, the first record, um, uh, there's not, there's not one for, for me. There's not one. It was a period in time, and it was the tapes that my mum's cousin used to give us. Here we go. Th- this is the gold. It's yeah. always somebody yeah. who is out there exploring. It's, it's usually you know, especially like in a family scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, Uncle Brian. It, it's usually the bad egg, or like the like the outcast, or like the you know the. The one that's a little bit kind of rough around the edges yeah. doesn't quite conform. He used to give us these tapes, and I can't remember for the life of us what they're called now. It was similar to you know like the Helter Skelter tapes and stuff yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. Um, where it was just loads of stuff mixed together. But it, it took kind of like the elements of like the the, the more sort of charty side of dance stuff that I, I was listening to and exposed to at that point, and it kind of almost like sped it up and kind of like removed the layer of. Of, of safety if you like you know there wasn't the you know the nice piano melodies and the and the fluffy bits to, to, to you know the catchy hooks and all that sort of stuff it was much more raw gritty yeah but when you listen back to it now it's like it sounds so archaic and very much of its time but at the time I was like wow I, I couldn't get my head around mm. you know you start off there half an hour later it's something completely and utterly different and I don't know how you get from one end to the other. Yeah. And that fascinated me. There was a there was a DJ called Easy Groove. Yeah. And Easy Groove used to play, um, for want of a better word, hardcore. But he would also do these techno sets. Yeah. And he'd be on with whatever MCMC MC ribs or whoever. And I always remember his sets. He would start with these mad records to start his set off. And one set would be like, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, The Power of Love, and then he'd just rinse in out of nowhere a massive techno track. Yeah. And it didn't go. If you listen to it today, there's no, you know, it just, it didn't go, but it was this, it was this mashup of him playing two conflicting styles of music, one which you knew, and you never knew what the tune was that yeah. he was going to, he was going to thunder into it. But he had a knack for doing that. And I think, some of them scratched, Jumping Jack Frost, different, like, guys had their own sort of take on what they were doing, but it was a hodgepodge. Yeah. Uh, Hit the Decks is that tape series. It is, Hit the Decks. Hit the Decks. 
like ten tapes or something like that. Was talking about like Ralph Harris or some shit, wasn't it? <laughs> two little boys, Ralph Harris. Yeah, there was. I'm sure there was like stuff up on like the Muppets and all sorts on there, like the two old guys with the Peter Muppets. And, yeah, yeah. Well remembered. See, see. <laughs> Mindful of useless information. There's going to be loads of people if they listen to this. They're going to be going, "What was he called?" Go on on YouTube. And then now, like, now you've given them the answer. Yeah. That they've just wasted five minutes. <laughs> the um with this with the scratching stuff because when when I got moving from hit the decks. I started at the time because obviously that's a lot faster than a lot of the commercially stuff. So I then got started getting people like friends giving us like Coliseum and After Dark and you know the hardcore nights up here. Like the After Dark, I think was was the was the one that I think people preferred because it was the it, it, for me it was always darker. So so can you flesh that out for me? What After Dark? What is that? Was that a club night or a... it was a club night? I think I was only like twelve. Right. 12 or 13 kind of underground so I, just, I just got the tapes that these tapes used to get passed around the estate from like the older kids yeah. and um, and I'd get them like a month afterwards but like recorded live at the After Dark or like recorded live at the Coliseum so and what it, was that what kind of what kind of style oh, it was, was it was it was nuts so this was maybe like 94, 95, 96-ish maybe going into 97 but it was it was hardcore but it was kind of like the hardcore heaven slightly fluffier more sort of trance infused, lots of vocals, and I didn't like that. Because uh, Richard, um, Richard Trout, um, he was in, he's in a DJ Sai, isn't he? Or was well, yeah, it? Yeah, he was, but he, he mentioned sort of QFX, yeah, and that, that, that just didn't resonate with me. Richard and I are the same age, but different scenes, yeah. I what already by 1993, I was getting like cream tapes, so I, I'd sort of advanced this. Re- it was weird because I stayed loyal to all the music that I'd grown up with but I had this I had this massive thirst because my brother was older he would bring these tapes back yeah. a lot of them actually from Affleck's Palace in Manchester would sell the tapes from Cream from Haas so my brother would buy them he, he knew I loved them and he would record them for me so I was kind of getting this what we now know as like almost the sort of the good stuff but I was still totally engrossed in like you say air horns and what sounded like 10,000 people going nuts yeah was kind of appealing because I think when you're younger it's the, the, it's the energy yes it's the, the energy. energy yeah yeah um yeah I I, I went I was always it, it, you probably know this with me I, I don't like to kind of go down the trodden path with a lot of things in my life no um I was so when like all of my friends that were into that sort of sound, I was like, oh okay, you know that's that's nice. There's but again, there's bits and pieces that I'd pick from that that I'd like, but there was a lot of it that I was like, mm, actually, do you know what? It's not for me. Um, and then there was I kind of and I've got no idea where I recorded this tape, but it was on it was somewhere and I it, I recorded it on a little cassette player mm-hmm. and I only knew I only remember this tape because I accidentally recorded like a start of a radio show. You know, like a radio broadcast at like, you know, 6pm, it's the news, BBC One, whatever, um, at the very, very start. And then it, I realised what I'd done and then kind of like stopped recording it. But then every time I listened to that tape, it was like, it's the six o'clock news and then bang straight into this. Like, <laughs> But it was this, it, it, I don't know if it was, it was, this is the guy's name, but it was, the MC used to be like, it's DJ producer from like, it was from somewhere on Merseyside, I think. But it was this like industrial gabber. Yeah. It was proper, full on. Stripped all of the, the white noise, all of the fluffiness out of like, everything, and it was just like bosh, bosh, bosh. Yeah, that there was there was quite a bit of that about. I think um, 
Easy Groove's top end, he would play a bit of Gabba. Yeah. DJ Clarkey, that for me was was too far. What were your thoughts on drum and bass? I loved what was jungle. The jungle, yeah. But that really is, is drum and bass as we know it now. Did yeah, you listen to it? I, I always thought drum and bass, and because I was like, it, you know, this, this one Gabba tape got me through like, I don't know, 14, 15. So like, you know, that sort of two year period. Um, listening to one tape pretty wow. much and and every time I heard every time I heard like drum and bass or, or like jungle at the time I was like oh that's that's nice but there's a bit too much bass there that's interesting yeah that's it's interesting the whole, it's, it's the whole premise of drum and bass is you've got the drum and you've got the bass and you build everything else around that and I was yeah. like I like the speed but I didn't understand actually the bass really is designed to be Heard in a live environment. Yeah, you're right. The, 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 this is something that I talked about with um, Will Noglows when we first talked on his podcast. We discussed that the quality of the tape that you had that could often determine which DJ or where you got your tapes from. Yeah. Because you're right, the, the the drum and bass or the jungle at the time could distort, so it did sound quite noisy. Whereas you're right. Something like Gabba or speeded up stuff like the piano stuff was quite trebly. Yeah. Quite there's, melod- there's, there's melodic. Not, there's, so there's, you the fewer frequencies to go wrong. Yeah. So it, yeah. Yeah. Now that is this is interesting to me because I wouldn't have had you down at this stage of your life with this sort of music. Dark horse. Yeah, <laughs> a bit of a dark horse, but not out of my frame of reference, right? Because yeah. you get to a point where you lose your source of music. And you're really into it. You have to go and look for it, right? So, I don't know if you remember Eternity magazine. It no. was it was basically rave rave culture magazine. As soon as I could, I got my pocket money and got my subscriptions. So for me, once I knew where I could go and read about the music, and then like either send off for tapes or learn more about it, I was engrossed. So I used to get magazines. I think it was Eternity magazine. Way before Mix Mag, way before that. And Eternity Magazine were kind of centred around rave culture. Yeah. I think the very early first renaissance might have appeared in there. But it was certainly underground. And that, for me, was a huge source of knowledge because I could read it cover to cover, send off some tapes, and then I would get the original tapes. I mean, you literally waited eight weeks for these tapes to come. <laughs> They're probably already six months old by the time they arrived. But once you'd got into that, you could get into like this little club. So all the packs, they would send them. Um, when I was about 13, 14, I used to tape these tapes on the blank tapes from Woolies and flog them on at school. So I would buy the originals, tape the tapes, sell the copies to kids, and then I would have enough money to buy the next load. So I was their source. I was a dealer. Excellent. I was a dealer. <laughs> I was that music in the best, in the best yeah. possible. <laughs> which, which you know, when I think about that, is probably one of the things about me that has kept me going in music is this search for new music. So, yeah, talk to me about talk to me about your moving into DJing because this is this is really taking the bull by the horns once you decide. Right, I'm not just going to play it and mess about. With yeah. I so it was the end of end of year eleven at school. One of my friends there was there was two lads in our year that DJed. One was the DJ, the other guy DJed, but he would he used to do like the sound and the lights. 
and like together they'd like set up all the parties that everybody would go to every yeah it was it was really cool yeah um so yeah joey um had uh, had his own decks i mean these were they were like gemini like xl 500s like you know bottom of the barrel yeah. direct drives but there were decks and at the time i was like that's brilliant so we went along to this gig that he put on at the end of the school year he must have only owned maybe it's like 30 records because Braveheart, it was when Braveheart, the Braveheart theme tune came out. And uh, I kid you not, that got played about six times. Wow. And I was just, I spent half the night, and bear in mind, like, I went there, like, you know, I was like, uh, like 15, going on 16, and there was a girl across the road that I used to quite like, so I was like, well, you want to come to the school dance with me? Um, there's a lot of steak. <laughs> there's, there's a lot, lot going on. And no, I, I completely pied her, because I was just like, I'm just fascinated with what's going on here. Oh, no. This is the first the first entry to DJ. Yeah. He's um, looking at the record spinning round instead of the, instead instead of the, girl. the girls. Yeah, instead of the girl. Um, so yeah, uh, wherever you are, love, uh, I'm really sorry. Um, it yeah, wasn't sorry. meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> but yeah, but that, I was just like, what you're doing so like after after that i was like i've got to come out to your house i need to know what's going on here so did did that and i was like right that summer i was like right turning 16 right mom and dad i want to i want to set a dex and my mom and dad were like this is another thing you're just gonna it's a phase you know let's just wait let's just wait and then end of that year i got my first like part-time job um, so I was like, oh, you know, on like two pound fifty an hour or something like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. stacking shelves. Um, but I was like, this is a way that I can save up. And I was like, right, okay, I'm gonna save up, and then bought my first set of decks from uh, Richard Sounds, like most people did, or a lot of people did. Brilliant. Sherwoods belt drives, used to touch the platter and it would wobble from side to side. Oh, like, yeah. um, belt drives. A, it, oh, honestly. Um, with a you know it is you know it's, it's plastic is like you know the the was hollow is like yeah it, you know it, yeah mental they couldn't they couldn't even take a like you couldn't if you knock them you would break yeah or you'd just ruin the recording yeah it was um it was sort of a passage of rights really that what what I'm starting to get a kind of nucleus of stories together from these podcasts is that just by the very nature of our age demographic but also the technology yeah. that was around at the time the big difference i think for a lot of people um, and you mentioned it there was whether they got like a paper round or had access to their own money because i think we did grow up in a time where parents you know asked you what you want for christmas and you'd ring things in the catalogue and you'd just hope and pray that you might get something yeah the you know if you got a pair of football boots that they had to last year. If you got a pair of trainers, they had to last year. Mine were like, they were from a place called Nick's. They were like, they looked like Pumas, but the, the Puma sign was upside down. So they were like off the market. I had a pair of those. And, and <laughs> I just thought all of a sudden that maybe incentivised by my father in the right way that if I had access to more money, I would have the choice of what I spent it on. Yeah. And could funnel that into what I wanted and what I was interested in. So music from the get-go, like I said, with those tapes, was quite keen. You know, you're paying a subscription. I think my dad paid for the subscription of the magazine. I think they were quite happy for me to be reading something. And then the tapes I would save up for. Yeah. But then I realised if I did more paper rounds, I would have more. If I did other things, I would have more money. And it, and it enabled me to sort of... I mean, I had a massive, massive, massive tape collection. 
massive. I used to cut all the flyers out. I'd keep them all. I'd do them all really nice. And I never taped over a tape. And so I had hundreds, hundreds in this drawer. And I prided myself on having this like massive collection of, of stuff like eight Groove Rider tapes, all from, you know, the Fantasia did ones. You, did the, you have the little label printer? I didn't have the. No, oh, I, didn't you, I had it. I used to I, cut. I used to. It was. It was probably that would have been easier. I used to cut out of. I try and always get two flyers. One that I could use as the tape and cut up, and one that would actually be the cover. The cover. If you, yeah. yeah. So I'd be like cutting all these out, but it, it, it that fastidious kind of dedication to it. It it was really. I was really serious about it then. It's no wonder I've got OCD really. <laughs> so. You, you've you now moved right into the classic zone, getting your hands on a pair of decks. I've, I've gone in and I've bought, for £200 of my own money, I think it was like 220 I think my mum had to sub me the extra 20 quid. What mixer did you get? Go on. Uh, it was a Synergy. I can't remember. It was yellow. Um, it was yellow? It was yellow. No no EQs, no gain control. It was two faders, a cross fader. You couldn't even, like, you couldn't listen to the same track in the headphones. Oh, so there's no cue buttons? No, well, there was a cue button, but you had to select either one deck or the other deck. You couldn't balance the two. Yeah, I get you. Yeah. That that was actually that was actually quite standard. The, when they yeah. then made a mixer that you could mix... Where there was a, there was a, the sound. There was a plot yeah. between you could balance between the two, that changed my life. It changed everybody's because if you wanted to DJ and you literally couldn't do it the other way, you had no hope. Especially with the tracks around at the time, right? right. But also as well, in terms of practicing, like you know, I, I was still you know at the t- I was still living at home. I couldn't have most of the time. I couldn't have my speakers on. <laughs> you know, I couldn't get back from you know be at school or college all day. Get back, you know, go to work. Get back at like eight nine o'clock. Can't go on my decks at like nine thirty ten o'clock at night because I'll wake every. You know, yeah. people are going to bed. So the ability to like to balance channel A and channel uh, channel B with this little rotary pod just meant that actually I could balance stuff and I could mix in my headphones. Did your parents, because obviously we started this conversation, your parents were pivotal in music in your house. Were they supportive of you having this hobby? Could they get their head around it? So, me, um, yes, yes and no. Um, yes, from a, I'm channeling my energy into something which is not alcohol or drug related. Yeah. Um, but also, me like my dad, um, at the time, was just like, "Why are you buying this weird music? You need to buy pop music and play pop music, and then you can get gigs." And then so he saw it as more, a way of making money, making more money. Which for any kids listening, uh, it did. You know, at the time I was like, "Absolutely not! No, don't want to do that." Looking back on it, and I was thinking about this earlier on. Looking back on it, I'm like, actually, if I'd have taken a few gigs here and there, playing something slightly more commercial. <laughs> A, I would have probably got my eye in a bit more. B, I probably would have networked and made connections at a much younger age. And C, I would have had much more money. Yeah. Yeah, but, but it's very, not where your heart stubborn. is, is it? It's I not was, where your heart is. No. No, I, I was It's I was the very, enemy. Very stubborn. Commercial stuff is the enemy. Yeah. You don't want top of the... If you want top of the pops, turn the telly on on Thursday night. Yeah. On BBC One. Yeah. You, that's not what you're doing. That's not what all these clubbers on the tapes are doing. Yeah. And... and well, part so this is a, a question that I've often thought about myself. The very nature of the music you listen to creates quite a lot of imagery in your mind. You know, move away from that album cover you showed me, which is all there for you to like look at 
you know, it's War of the Worlds, you can see it all, it's fascinating. This was music that you had to imagine in your head, wasn't what it? Was in, what was in your head, yeah. There was yeah. no Top of the Pops dancers, so that, you could put that, the singer to the... I, I, I literally, I, you know, it was at the time where you'd have like a Ibiza Uncovered on, was it Channel 4? I think that came much later for me. I was probably not switched on to that. I, I even remember the Hitman and Her, which so like makes me sound even older than I I'm sure me and sure I don't know what that is. The Hitman and Her was <laughs> Michaela Strachan, sorry, Pete Waterman and Michaela Strachan, Michaela Strachan would rock up to clubs around Britain around the early 90s and interview people dancing, <laughs> most of them a little bit mashed, but they would literally have an interview with people and Michaela Strachan would be like sort of dancing and going, oh, aren't we really cool? This is what's happening. I'm going on YouTube tonight looking at that. Oh, I you do it. No do idea. it, yeah, do well. it. They were trying to bridge the gap between this commercial element and clubbing. Yeah. But it wasn't rave. It was kind of the, the middle bit. The, the, the safer. The middle bit, yeah. yeah. So, at this point, you're what? 16? 16, yeah. Are you practising away? Are you trying hard? Are you getting more records? Still at school at the time. Um, still, you know, working part-time. At the time, I used to get 30 quid a week. Um, I think the council called it, like, education maintenance allowance. <laughs> so I got that and me 150, 200 quid a month from, from work. Um, and I kid you not, after I paid me travel, every single penny went on records. Every single penny. To the point where I used to sometimes go into school not really able to, because we used to have, like, a, um, a kind of like a card system at school where you loaded up at the start of the week and then that would pay for your meals. I get it, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I'm going to skimp on having a full meal today. I'll just have a drink and, like, a flapjack because there's this tune coming out soon and I'm, I want to keep me money for that. So where did you go for your records, Nick? Uh, HMV. I was... I, it, it was easily accessible because there was one at the Metro Centre. There was one in, in town. Um, and I, the, the Metro Centre one was all right if it was quiet but it was always full of other kids who weren't into the same sort of stuff and would just go in because it had decks and they used to you know pretend to scratch and all that sort of stuff and then get thrown out the one in newcastle i probably spent a, a large percentage of my late teens there um i'm not ashamed to say it was it was the one where you went in off the main or off, off northumberland street and then straight down the escalators oh, and as yeah, you got yeah. as you got halfway cool. down the escalators the basement opens up and at the time, um, Neil Bittenbridge, who was involved with Jim yeah, Bittenbridge, used to run yeah. air records, um, he, he was working there. Um, it, but it, this room, used to, it would just open up. So this, so this is worth man- mentioning, right? I'm not, I'm not originally from Newcastle. You are. It's a major city. I think for people who are listening, who might be like, HMV. For some cities, like if they had somebody, obviously like, like somebody like Neil, who was purchasing the records for HMV, you could get some good stuff. Yeah. Because... Whiz forward for me in ninety nine two thousand. One of our mates worked at H and V, and he would get all the white labels in, and he would also get quite rare stuff, and he would allow me and Dave Ferno, the other resident, mm-hmm. me and Dave would go and buy a load of records, play them, take them back, and he gives the money back. So we went through lots of different records and tried them, tried them and tried them. Yeah. They didn't really work or we didn't really like them. He would let us take them back and swap them, which gave us access to a lot of music. So just that's just wanted to put that in there because I think some people always think, oh, it's got to be an independent record shop, but it just depends who works there, right? I, yeah, I, and that, that exact reason, I for probably a, a, about a year and a half, 
was scared, um, and I'm sorry Scott, I'm sorry Lee, um, I was scared to go into Flying Records because it was too serious serious DJs serious music and I was like it, it, I was like I still had hair I was like it, <laughs> I was like 17 and I was like this is like this is too much this is too much I'm, I'm, I'm a kid like they'll, they'll, they'll laugh at me there is an element you're right we we, we went to a place and um, we've mentioned it before called Melody House in Blackpool there was an edginess to these record shops yeah wasn't there it wasn't Once, like come on in lads have a look right yeah. you, you saw other people you thought I don't know what I'm doing I don't know what I'm and have I got enough money but once I got the courage to go in I was like okay this is like this is this is a new world it's not just different from HMV in that it's you know it's a different vibe they've got different stuff in here I, I used to go to HMV and I was lucky in that the guys Neil and Mark used to keep bits and pieces behind the counter for us. Um, so I'd go in. I mean, I had um, Zombie Nation, Kerncraft 400. Um, listen to it now, it's horrific. But at the time, it, I mean, it was, a, you know, yeah. summer of 2000, it was a massive record. Um, I had the white label six months before I heard Judge Jules playing it. And I'm like, am I a kid from Gateshead? Yeah. Like, how on earth? Because it was just, go- I used to go in all the time. I'd spend hours, I'd listen through. And this is where, you know, we were mentioned before about, like, you know, Gabba and all the stuff out, you know, I'd listened through a lot of that stuff. I'd listened through bits of drum and bass. Um, annoyingly, at the time, I couldn't afford to buy all the LTJ Bookham Earth series that they mm. had on vinyl in there. In the big box. In the big, big gold, thick box sets. box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was expensive, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, it was, I think at the time it was like 30 quid. Yeah, it was. 30, 35 quid. It was quid, really expensive. Which, you know, when I've got a budget of like 20 quid to buy some records this month. You want to come out with four or five, don't you? Yeah. 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 Which is, you know, you'd always get like the the huge tunes and positive and stuff like that. Yeah, huge. Three for 10 quid. Yeah, 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 they did, they did. Like H&V was good for that. Yeah. When when the sort of mass market got behind definitely the huge tunes, they did three for 10 a lot. You could get your back cat sorted. If I I pull out, if I went into me, into me, the huge tune section of my my records now, I guarantee you, if I go to one with a three for ten pound sticker on, you can wave it around and it's like oh, they were it's paper flopping thin. around. Yeah. They were paper thin. Yeah, I think the last, I don't hold me to this because I can't remember. They've all gone now. I had about fifty, as I used to get all the remixes. Yeah, and the the last one that I can remember being quite thick was Myro Paradise. That's a tune. I've known that for a while. And I think after that, they just got thinner and thinner. The same with Bedrock Records. Bedrock, I remember buying. I was so excited as well to get it. The Bedrock mix of Cowgirl. Yes. Was on the thinnest piece of vinyl ever. Every time you wound it back, it skated through the needle. The needle just kicked off. And I used to curse old Digweed for that. I'd be like, (laughs) it's one of the best records if I also remember, it was about like twelve minutes long. Yeah, it was. A, yeah. And it started right at the very edge of the record, and it had no space uh, at the, the end. Yeah, there was. It was literally there was a tiny little gap before you had it before it went into the paper. <laughs> it's crazy when you think. <laughs> it's crazy when you think of this. Whereas, whereas now I'm like, do you know? Oh, if it's not a hundred and eighty gram pressing, or it's a hundred and forty gram pressing, and I'm like, I, I, I won't buy it. And it's, it's very snobby. I've kind of gone the opposite way in that I'm not just buying music for the sake of buying music. So this is this is the thing that's surprising, right? This is why these chats are so good. Because if we, if we go from this 
point in your life, right? You're messing around with decks. What did you carry on? Was there a, right, I need to grow up? No. Nah, stop messing I, about with this. I've never grown up. And it, <laughs> as, as, me, as my wife will attest. Um, I, honestly, I've never grown up. So um, you've always had decks? Oh, yeah. Pretty, there, was a, there was a gap, um, 2007, until about 2011. But before then, I went through the CDJ phase and all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, got into debt, was daft with money, had to sell stuff, and then I was like, I can't afford, you know. At the time we were moving, we, we, at the time we were moving down to Leeds, um, right. trying to get a job and stuff down there, and and I was just like, I can't, I, I'm not earning enough money to to be putting enough money just to, to one side to buy more decks. Yeah, because I'm still in debt and I'm still paying my debts off. Yeah, it's it's it. It really is a serious business. Yeah. When I was playing in Cheltenham, I was playing three to four venues a week. I was getting paid. And that that situation at HMV was it was incredibly helpful. Yeah. Because there was a certain degree where these tunes, if they were what like proper white labels, would needed to go to somebody to play. And you would play. I would play them at one of the quieter places. I would test records before playing them. I had about four very different gigs. One was in a bar, one was in the student night, another was like in a pre-bar, and then the Friday night I used to do what would be a sort of proper club night. I used to warm up before trance DJs, so I'd really pitch my tracks up yeah. and play like the higher end of of the prog sound at the time. Really more or less what was played on Global Underground yeah. what what I kind of played and I don't think people today really understand like how it's how it, much money you could spend I mean you, 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 if you were serious you had to have turntables yeah. at home you, yeah. you, if you were playing out you had to practice and you had a unquenchable thirst for new music I don't know if you were the same you would you would play tracks but you'd always go out every week looking for four or five new tracks that would slot in, and you'd kind of go through, wouldn't you? Every time, every time I went into the into Newcastle, it was whatever else I'm doing. There was time in my day to go to at least yeah. two record shops. So I'd go to HMV, go to Fly, and I think Ref- Reflex was on. We was open around the corner from there by where the Granger Market is. Mm. Um, they were always good for random bits and pieces as well so I'd I'd be I'd easily spend well me, me 30 quid a week that I was getting kind of free off the government that that went on, on record yeah. so what 120 quid a yeah. month and then money that I was spending off me off my wage I think even, well. so even stick another 100 quid on, on top of that 200, 200 quid a month yeah I remember when I was in Manchester is when I kind of got a f- first few gigs with a big student pavilion big student night on one of the campuses and going to like Piccadilly Records and even back then if you wanted to get a few records they were definitely about six quid each yeah like the, we've jumped in and out here of time periods but when HMV sort of kicked in was able to sell your records at two ninety nine, three ninety nine, the explosion had happened yeah. that's why previous to that you had to do some serious groundwork I mean I guess same as you I would go and I would search and one or two hours 
fly by, click of the fingers, would you, you'd be like, oh shit, I've actually just spent like I've missed, I've missed a, yeah, I've missed, a, I've missed a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> or, I've, or, I've, or I've missed, I've missed like meeting the lads for a drink. Yeah. Because I'm messing about again, and you'd have your record bag, wouldn't you, with you? Because if you did buy them, you didn't want to be carrying like a record round with you. You you had to like protect it. Yeah. You wanted it all neat and tidy. Um, yeah. So when when do you think? When do you think the period of this is like recognizing to yourself that this is getting serious? When you got in debt, or did um, you realize you were addicted to it? I was addicted to it. I, just, I knew, I knew probably within maybe an hour of of unboxing those belt drive decks. Um, I was like, okay, my my, my life's never going to be the same again. And it's it's weird because like saying that out loud, I'm like. The emotional element of like the last like what how old am I? Twenty plus years of my life. All around one thing. And it's and when I say it's it's shaped everything that I do, it's like literally every single day for the last twenty three years, twenty four years going on, I wake up, I think about stuff I need to do, and I think about music. And it's it's one of those things where if you're not careful, your life can get very very quickly out of balance. I mm-hmm. I was lucky in that my trouble at the time at the time when I was in kind of like me early to mid twenties was a it was my own fault because I didn't handle job stuff and, and money stuff very well. But b it was at a level where actually if I'm sensible, I can get I can get out of it relatively easily through just a bit of hard graft. It didn't remove my love for music my love for finding new music because even when I didn't have decks I was like I was still buying records when I could afford to every now and you know every now and again but I was still listening to new music mm. all the time yeah I mean I was similar I had to just work harder yeah I couldn't you know it's funny now we obviously we talk about mental health and we're, we're, we're like 20 years on we're so aware of all these sort of areas of the way your own brain's thinking patterns of behaviour um, you know, it's it's like there in books to read. It's mentioned on every other podcast, but back then there wasn't that kind of nah. security. And I think other DJs understood other DJs, but you you did you did have to kind of keep an eye on things. It 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 was an interesting time because I understand what you're saying. You you're you've got this collection of records. And you're growing it, and you're growing it, and you're growing it, and you pride yourself on having a whole suite of one record label. You know, whatever it was, Fine Rhino Records, I think it was. Yeah. What's the one that I remember getting my first JD Plastic Dreams on? Put it downstairs. R and S. Yes. Yeah. And having these like five or six records. Yeah. If somebody came in like a girlfriend or whatever and looked at it on the floor, I mean, they're just. They're, and yet, to you, to yourself, it's, it's, it's like it's yeah. Don't don't like touch them. Or I would have them, not like this bookshelf, but I would have them in label order. I would have them all in date chronological order of the label order. Yeah. So that I could easily reference them. You you love this. That's exactly how I've got mine now. Good. <laughs> so that's how it should be, Nick. That's fine. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is the the music I know you for now. The music that you've done Electronic Cat for, that we've done little bits of Defcon work together for, guest mixes that you've done for me yeah. for Progressive House UK. 
all this nick that we've been discussing here is not the nick that I know musically now. Yeah. It's quite interesting to hear quite a commercial background. I kind of thought you were going to come in with, I was into the orb from you know the word go, or I was into craft uh, work and wouldn't have anybody say I anything. Can't, I, I can't understand craft work. Well, and I mean, I'll get stick for that, and it, it, but I, I'm just I listen to them, and I'm like, it, similar to Depeche Mode. I, I enjoy Depeche Mode. I listen to it, and I enjoy it, but I don't, because I come from a different time. It's it didn't it didn't have the same, right. it didn't have the same resonance. My mu- and I think my musical taste is fairly broad because of because I didn't grow up listening to, to just one thing. I wasn't told, oh, you know, you can't listen to this, or you can't, or you should listen to that, or it was a, you know, a, you know, kind of whatever goes. I mean, God, I was like, I was seven. I used to listen to like Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells, you know, which I haven't brought that with us, but I've got that in the house. That's another so what, original. What, what are the bits and bobs have you got in your bag? So I guess that would help explain a little. Yeah. Bit so of how diverse your tastes are. Um, I've got. Let's have a look. Um, I've got a new pressing of Detroit Escalator Company. Which is nice. People might know that from um, when Sasha first started doing the Ableton, the Maven controller. Um, he did a, I don't remember where it was, but he did a mixtape. And he started the mixtape with a track from this. Um, I'll tell you what it was, actually. Is it the Avalon mixes? Yes. It, yeah, would have been. Um, I can't find the track. But it was oh, Abstract Forward Motion. Yeah. It's, I bought this for that. It's probably the least played record uh, track on this on this album. The others are better because the others are just brilliant. But in in terms of um, if I was kind of gonna sum up my entire musical history and the reason that I kind of I'm probably quite diverse. Um, I've got Tyrant, No Shoes, No Cake. Oh, fantastic! Craig Richards and Lee Burridge. That's um, fantastic. And I've got James Abela, Sound in Motion. Oh, lovely! You let me have a little go of those in my hands. Look, they're at that. they're very huge, dirty. On huge uh, as well. You can probably tell the sleeves are absolutely annihilated, because pretty much for about four years running, every gig I played, they would be I'd be they'd be yeah. they'd be getting pulled out. Yeah. And I might only play one or two tracks off the whole thing. Uh, whenever, see, this this, this sort of, this gives me a lot of joy. But it also slightly breaks my heart that I got rid of all my vinyl. I'm really sorry. I mean, yeah, everybody gonna... said, when people go, I'm going to sell my vinyl, you get half the room go, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm it. not going to make this any easier for you. Oh, look Edron at this, Edron Dagger on vinyl. You can tell this got battered because look at the state of the cover. Yeah, you've made it. It's absolutely ruined. It's so bad that I've actually, when it got repressed a couple of years, two or three years ago, I bought the repress and the repress is still sealed. So oh, I'll still clever, play that. Clever boy for that. Yeah, I'll still play that, but then I've got the resealed one for when that's no longer... Sounding, I mean, it, it doesn't sound great now anymore. It's it's, it's had far too many pints spilt on it and all This, um, 2002, this was... When you look back at this, there was a lot of anticipation about this album. That, that... And it never quite... For me, personally, I just didn't... A couple of the tracks I liked, but I'd... I think yeah. I was always Wavy. a Nick's person, and when he did that compared to Wave, I mean, well, Wavy Gravy was what 140 BPM. Yeah, he did. Um, was it? I think Boiler Room was the one with James Holden, which was the which was the quite clubby one. But um, I always I always liked that. And this this is what started to kind of send me back down a bit of a 
Bloodlock, uh, that was the one with that's Holden. The, that's yeah. the one with James Holden, yeah. Um, but because it was different and it wasn't what people expected, I was like, I, 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 I get that. At the time, I was like, I'll only maybe play one or two of those. But when you listen to it, and when a certain, I, mean, I still play that now. And when I listen to it now, I'm like, actually, like Mr. Tiddles on there, Mr. Tiddles got played at my wedding. Oh, did it? Yeah. Great. Which is which is a, a very very sad, but it was, it was one of those records where, unless you were a fan of Sasha and a fan of the album, you would never hear that piece of music. No. I mean, it is it is it is history. It's it's a historical piece of electronic music. Everybody was waiting for it, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. I mean, and it was. I think I've got two copies of C- on of the CD in the garage because yeah. I bought one. Couldn't feel like I couldn't not have it, even though I was couldn't make my mind up about it. I had to own it. You still had to have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to own it. Yeah. So that's. Um, but yeah, I've got oh, there's other bits, but like again, I'm like I've got DJ Shadow in here because I listen to, I listen to DJ Shadow all the time. Um, I've got Uncle. So that's so that's mo- so that's. That's probably our crossover, yeah? Yeah. Because that's probably the Nick that I thought I would... That's the Nick you thought you knew. Yeah, yeah. it is. <laughs> the kind of DJ Shadow, um, literally like Tyrant, dubby, dubby backroom stuff. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's, a track, there's a track on this Tyrant mix from uh, Nathan Coles, who's sadly taken his own life this week. Um, he, he? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was a massive, massive influence on musically in terms of like the stuff I used to buy, uh, used to listen to. Um, I oh, might do a, yeah, I might do a, I might do a mix um, with a with a few of his, his bits and pieces on. Um, but there was a yeah, there was a tune on there called uh, Rust Bucket. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But it was this like dubby, skippy breakbeat track, and that was just I heard that. And it just blew my mind. Nick, I think you've got to do a mix to accompany this podcast. <laughs> you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to play a few of these records. Don't you don't have to mix them. Just yeah, put I'll them do together. like a top, like top yeah, five. Yeah, yeah, because we're talking it, yeah. about we're talking about some really kind of really good stuff here. Like having Mister Tiddles at your wedding. I wonder how many people would have had that. You know what I mean? I don't know how many people know that song even exists anymore. To be honest, it's it's but you listen to it and it's like it it. it it saunters around a little bit and then it just about halfway through maybe it's just over two thirds of the way through the record just like opens up and it's like someone's just like turned a dimmer switch and pulled the light on it's it's a, it's a bit more like they were jamming it really isn't yeah. it yeah you know when you think about what he did more recently with yeah. Charlie May coming on keys in the barbecue and all these different places that he's done stuff you went to you went to that as well the went to the one in, stuff. yeah the refractive yeah. stuff went to in Manchester yeah I've, yeah. got the, I've got the live recording. Drove there and back. Would he kill me? You've oh, got the live recording. What on? What on? Uh, CD which came with the Blu-ray, or Blu-ray which also came with the CD uh, and the vinyl. Oh. Because I'm really sad. I've got that on vinyl. Um, my vinyl's crystal uh, see-through. It's beautiful. But that's in a big box as well. Where are they? And they in like special pride and place. Um, all these non-sealed vacuum. It's like cigars no, in a it's humidor. In, um, <laughs> it's not been played. It's but but I've. I've um, it's not. It's just. It's in the racks. I've got all my albums and stuff off to one side, and all the stuff that I love off to one side. How many records do you think you've got? Uh, if I look on Discogs, I've probably got about seventeen hundred. Nice. Ish. That's I've decent. sold. I've sold loads. You have to. I've, you yeah. have to because tastes change. One man's rubbish is another man's treasure. Yeah. It it it, it is good. To, you know, I've got lots of books here, right? There's lots I haven't read. Yeah. There's lots I have. 
if I was to give them away, I would hope that people would read them and enjoy them. And, and right? appreciate them the same way the that you would The problem is, yeah. they didn't select them in the first place, so the chances are they wouldn't unless yeah. you've talked it up. And vinyl's like that, right? It's, it's just, if you don't want it anymore and you don't need it, yeah. somebody will have it, but it's still not the sort of thing you just give, you, as in inverted commas, give away. Yeah. Um, I've I've tried. Uh, believe you me, I've tried. I sold I sold some records last month. Um, when I moved down to Leeds from here, when I was mid twenties, um, I left maybe about three hundred records. That was just like oh, I haven't got time. Of heavy as well, man. But well, one heavy of those one one of those was Sasha and Emerson Scorcho, which I still to this day have not replaced, and I still regret leaving it. But I was like, oh, I'll buy another copy. Now then, when I've got was that on again. A, was that on a thin bit of vinyl? No, my no, it wasn't. It was thick. I think it, it, it was, was thick. There was there was a I think there was a, a, a second pressing which was on thinner vinyl. Yeah, I got the, the first. Thick, I got the thick version. Thick. Yeah, started like a bitch that record, didn't it? Yeah, just boom, boom, boom. Yeah, boom. yeah, yeah. But um, I never yeah. knew how I felt about Scorchio. I played it. I played it a lot, but I never knew how I really I, felt about it. I I only played it a handful of times, but. I, I loved it on the when Radio One did the um, essential mix from Round Here Park in Leeds. They had um, Darren Emerson on, and then Sasha on. Sasha played like a twenty minute set. It was like you know, quarter to twelve or something like that. And there was like you know power, power lights out at midnight. But um, yeah, there was a there was a bit where Darren Emerson dropped Scorchio. It was like the world premiere. Like never never played it anywhere before. Plays that. Pete Tong comes on and it's like. He's describing to the people at home what's going on, and, the, and there was like a hundred thousand people there, and it, it was it was pissing it down with rain, but this record was just like sunshine, and I was yeah. like that. I've still I've got the I haven't I mean I have got a tape player. I've still got the tape in the house, of the mix of the mix from that day. Yeah, class. Yeah, if you go on YouTube, I think part of Sasha's set is on is on YouTube as well, um, because he plays like. He plays like Schiller, uh, Das Glockenspiel. Oh, one of my favourite records. The Humate mix. Yeah, oh, like, one of my favourites. But it, it's, not the, it's not the version that got the, the, the main release. It's the one that got an early release. And it's it's a longer breakdown. Oh, nice. It's So the, the version I've got in the house is, is that early release and it's got like a much longer breakdown. Oh, what label did that come out on? Uh, it came out on Data. Yes, Data Records, who used yes. to do a lot of stuff with like uh, Mogwai and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this was but, the this was yeah. the thing. This was how you. There was a race to get the tunes. Yeah. It's not like that anymore. I think what you need to know now, what you always need to know back then, was where to find your records. Yeah. But there's so much that there isn't the kind of bum fight. In fact, you probably like me are the opposite. We we tend to go off in a direction to find our music. Yeah. Um. Everybody knows what a banger is. Everybody knows a track that is instantly, like, that's a massive track. And that's, for me, not where the beauty in music lies. Yeah, that's that's probably another step in a completely different direction for me musically as well. Because, like, I I listen to, like, a lot of the, like, the Anjuna Deep stuff and the old I I Dream stuff. I listen to a lot of that style of, of music, but I don't buy it anymore. No. Um, it's it's very listenable. Yeah. It, it, it if you remember there was there was a bit of a fork in house music around the millennium. Yeah. You had your kind of 
um, what used to be A and PM went into defected. So you had the defected record sound, which obviously defects is still going. Yeah. But you had the head candy. And the head candy was very watered down, very easily accessible house music. Then you kind of had all of the like Lee Burridge stuff back then. Yeah. And the Tyrant stuff. And there was this, what I would call this kind of like middle ground of, of what you could quote unquote call house music. What you would still call house music. Some was much easier than others. But I think now, the the amount, and this is something obviously Trout and I talked about, the amount of different styles and genre classifications, it's it's endless. Yeah. I mean, if you go on Beatport, now I was an early doctor of Beatport, and there was, they still had the genre thing, but it was like eight eight genres. Yeah. Now there's just like somebody does two things in one record and they create a genre for it. It gives, it, it gives, it gives me a headache. Um... I mean, you you know you'll know I had that Beatport Link um, subscription. Um, so when I when I bought my Denons and then they released the like the Beatport Link integration, I was like, oh, this is good. It's like thirty five, thirty six quid a month, and I've got access to pretty much the bulk of the Beatport library, including all of the back catalogue stuff. So I I can put stuff in playlists, which I do prepping my music anyway. But I, I don't, you know, it's it, it's a low monthly amount and I've got an endless amount of music to play with. This is brilliant. What's not to love? Mm. That's probably the, musically, that's probably the worst decision I think I've ever made. Why? I completely lost myself. Not in a, not in a good way. Uh, I completely lost my direction musically. was playing stuff that I'd play once and then move, you know, I'd play it once and then it would disappear. What period's, at, what period's this? Oh, this is last year. Right. This this is this is pretty recent, um, and and that's one of the reasons that I've decided to kind of stop, with a lot of my mixes to to just kind of park sort of the house side of, of of what I love, because there was just that much music getting chucked at you all the time mm. that I'm like actually the bar gets lower and lower and lower. If you look at stuff from like the like the mid nineties onwards, because there was a there was a tangible cost associated with having to produce a physical product. Even when it was the you know the three for ten quid HMV really really, you know floppy disk, thickness yeah. records, there was still a cost associated with those. Yeah, financial stake for the people to yeah. make it, financial stake for the labels, exactly. for the artist, for everybody involved in yeah. the chain. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas you know whereas now, I mean you know, Christ, I could go on you know I could download a crack version of Ableton, not that I'm saying you should, but I could and knock up a track, stick it on Beatport. There's no, there's no skill in that at all, and it's, it, it, and this is this is my bugbear with technology, and that for a lot of, in a lot of ways, it's opened doors for a lot of people, and it enables us to do things with the music we've never been able to do before, or you would you be able to do, but you'd need a massively expensive recording studio to do. Did you did you see this week, slash on the weekend, dear old David Gare, showing that tune off that he made with AI. No. I know I can tell by your face you feel like <laughs> I do about it. Um, very briefly, I'm just showing Nick a book behind me. I'll tell anybody I can about this book. This this is called Scary Smart, the future of artificial. Art, sorry, the future of artificial. But I can't even say it. The future of artificial intelligence and how you can save our world by Mo Gaudat, who ran Googleplex. Right. Right. This is a book I, you, everybody should read. Right? I think I know where this is going. Right. So, 
one of the big debates that's happening in the artistic slash creative world is AI, right? And you can find three way AI sites and say to it, not specific as this, but bald man with beard sat on the edge of time with raindrops from space horror movie. And it'll create the art, it'll give you not just one, it'll give you sort of four or five different pictures of it, right? However, that same technology is exactly the same when it comes to making music. Yeah. So David Gare wrote some lyrics in the style of Eminem. Recorded it, played it, he's got his phone in his hand with X amount of nut jobs behind him and he's rinsing out this music and he's like, oh yeah, they all went nuts. Now, I would, I am on record saying this, I'm saying it now into my own podcast, right? <laughs> that is dreadful. Yeah. Because somebody of that status who earns that amount of money from what he does, being able to rip music from a source that can't be identified. I mean, how much longer is Eminem going to want his voice, his USP, right? His voice is his USP. How many white rappers are there? Zero. If you just give you, if you discovered otherwise, but some of us, <laughs> some of us quite happy to learn. I mean, you know, he's got to, he's got to, he's got a place. He so. he stops collaborating. So just you know, it that and him saying it yeah. is terrifying for exactly what you've talked about. Here's the thing. There is, as you're aware, this beautiful suffering that the underground artist slash person wants to continue to have the fight against the big corporations the commercial sound and everything and I through these podcasts with other people have started to realise that this is the this is the actual thing about being underground is you want it to grow to a level at which as soon as it becomes mainstream it's it's gone. Yeah. The problem we've got, and you're gonna hopefully elaborate a little bit on something we said before we started recording, which is how this technology is making it accessible for anybody to just make things that they haven't even any longer got to learn how to do. Yeah. It, yeah. It's when you were ta- you know when you we were talking about the book and the David Getter thing, you know I I was showing you that I've got that app I've got that app on my phone for you know the artwork app. And I'm like, I like playing with it, but equally, at the same time as, as, as the sort of you know the AI thing with the, with, with with music is that's a scary, scary. Yeah, it's a very scary space, but it's also that's a very slippery slope, as yeah. well. At the same, you know, it, it, when you've got that, you know, whether it's whether it's music, whether it's artwork or any other sort of creative outlet, when you kind of almost partition off the human element and you kind of almost you outsource the the graft to an artificial intelligence you take away the whole point of it existing in the first place so that mix that mix you did right and I still listen to it the mix you did for me the concept album that we did the double mix sort of idea right the level of detail and thought that you put into that okay this is relevant right so I want to try and us both keep on the right track here about technology and cheating Right, I knew 
as soon as I heard that mix, what level of effort went into it, okay? You can put a lot of level into music where you mix two tracks because you found the track and you've put the effort in and you've learned how to make and mix music. Yeah, all of that stuff. But the level of overlay, the level of detail in telling a story, like weaving voices, you know, tell me, how, how did you formulate that? Because... Yeah, that's, that probably comes, that was me just being like, I want to do, when we used to do like, you know, recording on tapes and you'd stop and start recording stuff off the radio and like, kind of like cut and paste on a, on a cassette tape, the same thing. And I was like, I want to do a version of that. But also as well for a lot of people, the, the whole Sasha Digweed Northern Exposure album was A, controversial at the time because it was not clubby. Which is something we were saying before, you know, with the with the with the Air Drone Dagger album, it wasn't clubby. It wasn't aimed at that sort of mainstream main room sound. It was very much kind of left field, and I was like, I, I you know, everybody does mixes. It, you know, you can press a button and beat sync anything, and you know, across you know, if you use Virtual DJ ninety nine decks, if you want to, I wouldn't want to because it, it would sound horrific. But you've got the ability to do anything you want te- technology wise. So the the to an extent, the technical skill is almost a level playing field. If you take it at the basic, basic level, it doesn't take any technical skill whatsoever to beat match anymore. No. And those those DJs that still rely on their ability to beat match vinyl, A, kudos to you, B, don't really think many people care. And being a vinyl lover, and, you know, I always play vinyl... I can beat match. I would like to think to a decent degree, in you know certainly well enough to be able to play out and have played out, but that that argument of like I can beat match on vinyl, nobody cares. No, no one really. Nobody cares the source. They care about the output, but then the end product. If, if yeah, if your end product isn't interesting, or if it's just you know that month's latest bangers or whatever, you know, would you come back to it in twelve months' time? Nah. I can, and this links back into when I was on about Beatport Link before, and the reason that I've stepped away from that. I can pretty much hand on heart save all of the monthly mixes I did for Subcode, of all of the monthly mixes I did for Progressive House UK and other bits and pieces. I've done about 30 mixes in the last year that have, that have gone out. I'd say probably two of those I've actually gone back to. Mm. Everything else has just it's a low gone yield. In. Yeah. It's a low yield, isn't it? And, and and for me and, and the reason that when you asked me to do those two mixes and you were you know you give me kind of carte blanche you know think outside the box what inspires you I was like actually right I want to do something which is still easily accessible people can still pick up and put down but I want you to be able to pick it up and put it down a year later five years later ten years later not that I'm saying that anybody's going to be listening to Nick Roger and you know the bald DJ in ten years, but I would like to think if you know if you or I went back in ten years' time and listened to that mix, it would still sound the day, like sound as fresh as the day that I that I put it or the the period in time in which I put it together. Yeah, I think I think you know when you're making a mix that you want to stand the test of time that it's gonna take a lot more effort. Yeah, I think sourcing bits of. Um, you know, radio messages, you had kind of like experiment, kind of Russian 
like sound waves, all that kind of like really nice yeah. layered old scratchy strange I'd, sounding stuff. I'd recorded like stuff off YouTube. I'd recorded like um doing you know like when you've got like an old FM radio and you're like scrolling through the stations and you get all the static and it. I'd recorded loads of like bits and pieces from from everywhere, and just kind of chucked everything together yeah. and then was like okay. I didn't even mix that, by and large, it was I kind of. Put it into Audacity, got it into like a rough... And layered it. And layered it. Right. And then once I'd layered it, listened through it a few times, and then I took the tracks and I put the tracks through Tractor. Oh, and the right, bits okay. that were then beat matched, I, all, all I did was just kind of like line stuff up. Yeah. And blend it. But the bulk of it was actually done Audacity. Like, well, same, same as today. Like, well, we, well, we all know bloody Northern Exposure wasn't mixed on vinyl. Yeah. You know, everybody... Has, has this like boner thinking that they that it was it wasn't at all. Yeah. It was probably one of the first Pro Tools mixes that, ever. The, that was commercially successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, but I, I think that's what I that's what I liked about your approach. That's different. I mean, we've we've talked about this already, and it's 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 a debate in my head at the moment about the fact we've called Progressive House UK Progressive House UK. Okay. You know this the ethos of being a progressive DJ is something that um, Will Noblo's talked about. You know, Renan, these DJs are progressive by nature. That's how I see myself. Yeah. When people say you've got a progressive sound, uh, there's part of me is thinking, I haven't got the beatport genre sound that I think you think that you that, think. Yeah, that and, and it's my it's my it's my issue. <clears throat> I've definitely changed my sound over the last three months. Because I have gone back to thinking that if I'm going to make a mix, I sort of want people to dance. Yeah. I know that sounds, it sounds almost crazy, right? Because you know that most of the people that you're going to make a mix for, they're going to consume it driving, they're going to consume it going for a walk. Walking around or jogging. But there's a genuine want, and maybe it's because I've played a few more gigs recently, that I want people to dance to the music. Because... If you're making a, a mix for people to listen to, which you which you were, we were making a, wanted to create a, between us yeah. for that series, a sort of concept album. That was the point of them, and I think there was in total there was twenty four in that series. There was there was a fair yeah, few. Yeah, and DJs that I worked with did approach it all differently, and a lot of them came back and sort of said that it was one of the most enjoyable projects because they sort of had to think about it. Yeah. Um. And back, real, real back to your point you were saying about this throwaway culture, it is scary. At the height of Lost, Lost In, I was buying oh, 40, 50 tunes a week. Yeah. A week. And would look at my back cat and go, I haven't even, I haven't, I've only played, I could see the play count was one. Yeah. Once, I've, I've got, live, and I've then got, never played it stuff, again. I've got stuff I bought because I like it. Be like, oh, like when I'm doing something, oh, I'll loop that bit up and then you know, play around with it. Uh, never gets played, and then uh, what's what's the point? So, for the poor bugger, who's in his bedroom making it, this is exactly our point about AI. Yeah. You know, there is a level at which buying a record or whatever format, MP3, WAV, off Beatport, you would like to think that the money's going to the artist in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. But to literally have a piece of technology to say, speaking to, and it creates it, it's just, that fills me with a, ri- 
I, I've read that book, right? I am embracing AI because there's no getting out of it. It's already here. Yeah. But there's that, a, I don't know if I have to embrace there's that a, level. There's a, there's a choice, and, and this is the whole thing with AI, is it's designed, it, it's very nature is about being able to, to, to help us facilitate an easier way of living or to experience more than we would be able to in our current situation, not to detract from that experience, but to enhance it. And for me, if you if you if you have anything, you know, you could argue that you know the likes of like Ableton, you know, MIDI, even like MIDI keyboards. I mean, MIDI's been around for decades, but the the technological aspect of making music is only a few steps away from the AI aspect. But you've still got that human interaction, that direct human input, because it's it comes out of your head through the machines rather than you almost being plucked to one side and then the machine doing everything for you. Yeah. That's that's the scary bit for me, is that if people if in, in you know, if if people want that two minute hit, you know, social media, TikTok, all that sort of stuff, if you want that two minute hit, that's the way that stuff's gonna go. Mm-hmm. But you're gonna lose a lot of what makes us human in that. Yeah, it's a it's a good point, Nick, because for me anyway, I mean no, I, 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 it's it's going to be a hot debate when you've got somebody like David Guetta, whatever you think of him, if he's putting on his social media and he's telling everybody what he's done. You, he's got the kind of reach that not just a few people, hundreds of thousands of people oh, will be going straight people. on these yeah. AI. It's probably got shares in it, but, but to be honest, more than likely, yeah. But they're going to go straight on this AI and do it, and. This goes back to kind of our underground old man Moni Roops is that do the reason I wanted you to sit down and have a conversation with me on a podcast is because I believe deep down you're into music. You're a DJ, you're into music, you love music, and I think that you might not want to play on a mix show or an internet radio station any longer. But nothing's going to stop you having to mess about with tracks, is it? Yeah, it's like I said before. Like you know, I still I've got a, I've got a day job, you know. I've got home commitments. I've got other stuff going on in my life that now takes a lot of my time up. I still spend a lot of my waking hours, just focused on music. It's always it's. I mean, on the drive over here, I had um I had an Orb CD. Uh, Mike Oldfield versus the Orbon in the car, <laughs> and I was like, I haven't listened to this CD for fifteen years. Easy. But when I was flicking through stuff to come out, I was like, oh, I'll stick this on in the car. But it's just always, it's always there. And for me, and certainly in terms of like the mental health aspect and and, and whatnot, it's, it, it's always, it's it's that safety net. And that no matter what's going on in the world, I've always, that's still always there in the background. Yeah, I think it, it can be, it can be your rage, it can be your peace, it can be your solace. Yeah. Um, it can be your lover. Very much, you know, when you need something to cheer you up that you know just always can. It can be your guilty pleasure. Yeah. Sometimes music is very, very, very powerful. Yeah. Uh, do you ever have times, I know I do, where I just can't, I can't have music on? Yeah. Quite, like I've almost yeah. OD'd. I've, probably in the last six months, I've probably had, I've felt that way more than I ever have in my life. And and I, I, I squarely blamed the whole... Be poor link access, because well, I just had access to everything, 
It's almost like you had keys to the drug cabinet. Yeah. And, and I just, just took stuck my head in. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, no, completely lost myself musically. So I decided to just can it. So your new show, The Void. Yes. You played some beautiful music on that. I yeah, listened to that several times. It's, for me, the sort of music that when I actually do want a break from music, I listen to, if you get me. That's that's exactly why I wanted to do it, because everybody can beat match. Everybody can play a house techno, that, you know, breaks, whatever. But I was like, I, I like that sort of stuff, but, you know, I've been doing that, I've been playing that sound of, you know, 4-4, four, four, breakbeats, techno, call it what you want. I've been playing that style of stuff for 20-odd years. I've got all of this other stuff that I, like, I love, but just never ever get a chance to share and wouldn't would never get a chance to share. Mm. If you want to mix show, you know, oh well I've you know, I've I've discovered this new artist or this new label, you know, oh it's a, it's a different variation of that house and techno sound. Whereas with the void it gives us a chance to be like actually step away from that, you know, you're not you're not in the main room, go in the back room, go in the chill out room. I mean, walk down the street, you know, go go out of the club completely, go home, like that's I wanted to just be like, what am I, what have I got in my record collection? What do I like to listen to? What needs to be heard? What needs to be heard? Like yeah. I, I, I buy a lot of stuff on on Bandcamp, um, and Bandcamp's great because I can just do like a, a dive into like stuff I've never heard before, and I have to be quite careful in that I don't just buy loads of stuff. I'm still gonna be fairly selective, but that opens up a whole other world of like stuff that. Like, because I'm quite into the um, strangely isolated place label. Right. Um, they, I, don't, I don't know it. They, it, it have, a, have a look at it. They do. They do some beautiful, beautiful electronic music. Well, I've got some. I've got some money. To get. I got bought some vouchers. God, God knows I've had sixty quid on Bandcamp forever. Yeah. I think literally about two months ago, I finally decided to buy the Digweed album. Oh yeah. Quattro, which I've always traditionally bought the CDs of, and like prize position sort of gone for the one that he would sign so I've probably got about 40, 40 odd quid in there that I wouldn't have a clue what to spend when I go on there and search I don't know what I'm doing I'm, I'm just showing Danny my Bandcamp page, page now this is like purchases of the last three months probably down to probably down to about there but I just I just do a deep dive pick bits and pieces out. I've got to write everything down or take screenshots and my phone's full of screen grabs. <laughs> this is the this is the other side and this was when I was about on about the whole like using technology to help you rather than to hinder you mm. in that I can use my phone to access stuff really, really quickly, find stuff that I wouldn't have been able to be exposed to and actually keep track of what the hell I'm doing as well because it goes in there and then straight out the other side. So how much Real, time, time do you think you spend looking for music then? Um, now now I, I, to be honest probably a lot less than people think um, I don't really look for music the same way that I used to I go on Bandcamp or uh, I'll go on YouTube on like different channels on, on YouTube and I'll just press play and if I'm you know if I'm in between meetings I'll have stuff on in the background if I've got an afternoon where I'm just doing like admin stuff with work or I'm working on a spreadsheet or contracts and stuff like that I'll just have stuff on in the background and when something comes on I'm like oh I like that what's that write it down or take a screenshot or yeah, it's interesting stick it in a because cart and... I, I have to be honest on this podcast when I'm saying things because I think it's the only way to be but we've talked about 
technology, and I do get helped by algorithms. Yeah. There's no, there's no two ways about it that the music that I get served up on YouTube. Chair spinning around. <laughs> um, I've put the effort into going and finding at some point, and now that effort is being repaid by getting offered yeah. what it thinks I want to hear, and it's pretty close to being almost yeah. Yeah. And I, and my sound, well, I don't know how I'd classify it, but I always try and keep on the forefront. Yeah. There's, you won't hear me play stuff that isn't pushing the boundary of either new, 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 or you know certainly my harder stuff. Yeah, I'm getting served algorithms that are doing the job of going through those record shops for me, I, and I and I love it. I, I I'm quite I'm I've, yeah. I, some of the YouTube stuff I, I I'll pick and choose bits from that but I tend I try and stay clear when I am actually properly digging for stuff um, I use Juno probably do you? yeah quite a bit yeah I've never got into quite Juno never um, got into it but if I'm if I'm on Juno it's like it's stuff that I'm like I'm looking through I'll spend maybe a month or two putting stuff in a basket and then it, I'll, I'll buy it unless it's like running out in which case I'll hurry up and buy it but I'll, I'll spend a good couple of months being like okay do I want that Okay, actually, is there something else about the same artist or the same label that's come out since? That actually, when I listen to the two tracks side by side, I prefer one over the other. So I've I've started actually kind of really taking me time, in almost kind of like curating what I buy rather than yeah, because the mood you're in at the moment, you listen to it, it might not be the mood you're in later. Yeah, and it might that that was one of the things when Beatport allowed you to have multiple baskets got yeah. me out of trouble, because I would be in a certain mood. And if I was in a certain mood and I was sort of in that like hot space where you want to get it all done and then download it and make the mix, yeah. you get all those tracks back a day later, you're like, what was I thinking? What was I thinking there? Yeah. And the, the baskets helped separate that where yeah. you could say, oh, that's mid-tempo, that's like warm-up, that's... And you would start to sort of space out your stuff. Yeah. And a good record doesn't actually date. What it does is it sounds bad, but I think we've got over that now. I think... Records even five, six years ago now sound fine. There's yeah. not much more they're doing in terms of bitrate and downloading it that sounds yeah. much better. You, you can't get a 2002 yeah. track and put it with a 2022. They just sound horrendous together. They just... I would argue that... You, I would well, argue... I would beg to differ. Maybe if you've got vinyl, <laughs> that's, that's a but, but equally, yeah. yeah. Um, Digitally, they, they sound terrible. Yeah. You know, I if I look for classics, I look for remixes of classics because I just know that it, you know, unless it's the classic that was made perfectly the first time, your Alison Limericks, your Bobies, yeah, things like that, that were really well produced at the time that still stand up. Most of the sound is like yeah. clumpy and and, and this murky. is where you, you can you can make it work, but you have to be, and this is where it comes into actually being a bit more of a, a crate digger or a you know a digital crate digger I guess but you know this is what comes in at like knowing your music and being like actually I can play that but I can't play it with these other 50 tracks it's got to be played after that one specific track yeah. otherwise it'll just sound you know it'll just be bang it, you know you'll hear the degradation in the sound quality and, and people will notice and this is where it's like actually if I've got five hundred record, you know, five hundred tracks that I've 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 downloaded in the last three months, I haven't got my head around that. I haven't got time to get my head around that. Whereas if I strip out a lot of the stuff that's like a seven out of ten, and I'm only 
focusing on the stuff that's like an eight, a nine or a ten out of ten to me, it becomes easier for me to kind of pick and choose those moments when I'm going to do something rather than having the music for the sake of like, I like the artist, I like the label and I've got to have their music. Mm. If I'm not going to, if I'm not going to get a benefit from it personally, whether it's an emotional benefit, whether it's a benefit of it going on a, on a, on a mix or on a show or whatever, or whether it actually, you know, want it because I love it as a piece of music, then I'll just be like, no, nah, sorry, I'm not, you know. Yeah, it's it, it's a good point because knowing more than just the tracks, as in having a real ear, a real ear for sound, does space out people who can play records and people who are DJs. Yeah. I think there's a difference between the way you curate curate a mix and maybe play a record that's not obvious but by very definition of mixing it in between another two creates this like beautiful space where you think yeah wow that 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 whole little soundscape there if you listen to those individual records you would never have put them together yeah and and you're right about the age of a record you need to be very careful my my holy thoughts has always been that and, and this is a, this is this sounds really really dated and people are gonna like, what the hell but I've always I've always loved the idea of taking something that's more and creating something that's more than the sum of its parts yeah but it's there was a there was a, I think one Lee Burridge's new uh, new breed um, CD came out there's a there's a bit in the sleeve notes and it's about how you're able to make tracks that are more than the sum of their parts by combining them in the right way. Yeah, you and almost get a third track. Yeah. And you get a third track in the, the middle. It's the space in between the records, which is, I think it's something like the space in between the records, which is where the magic happens, and yeah, it sounds yeah. dead cheesy. But that's always stayed with us, because yeah. it's like, it's creating something that wasn't there in the first place. He's quite a different DJ than he used to be, really, now. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's he was always a little bit melodic. He could always do it all. Um during his sort of tyrant years and, and all of that he's great he's a great DJ he's a big smile on his face as well clearly really enjoys what he does there's some I mean I guess maybe that there is there, you know there's plenty of time to talk on this but who would you say at the moment is, is a DJ that you are happy to listen to sort of just on spec yeah just um, Craig Richards still still Craig, Craig Richards probably above anybody else um I've been getting into um, kind of the more that I wouldn't say getting into, but I've been I've been exposing myself more to like the real minimal stuff, which is, you know, still quite housey in a lot of ways, but it's not the hundred and twenty BPM, plod plod plod, melodic stuff. It's it's got the elements of kind of like tech house before tech house was a dirty word, mm. but it's still quite housey in a way. Um, I don't listen to tons of that, but every now and again I'll listen to a mix and I'm like, oh, that's good, I enjoyed that. I wouldn't necessarily feel the need to go out and buy the records Mm -hmm. in the same way that I would have done 20 years ago because I don't think think the music's hitting the same notes with a lot of people. Yeah. But... It's it, it, it does it does kind of open up a, you know a few other avenues, but then it takes us back around to like people like Craig Richards, like Jay Tripwire has been probably I've got more of his records than probably any other single producer. Um, he's for anybody that's not heard him DJ, 
He's phenomenal. He's ridiculously talented. My friend and I used to have a Jerry Tripwire um, CD. I can't remember what mix it was. We absolutely adored it. We absolutely adored it because even at the time, you played music that you just never heard. Yeah. And it was like, what is this? Yeah, and it's, it, it's, it, you know, it's like when you walk into like a Sasha or a Digweed gig for the first time, and you're like, what the hell is this? Yeah, like, what's the what what the hell's going on here? Every single time I hear Jay Tri- Jay, uh, Jay Tripwire play, it you know play it, have a dig do a mix like you know, I, I'm like. I've never heard that before. I've never heard that before. Some of it, you know, it does, depending on whether it's a live recording or like a studio recording, if it's live, sometimes it goes quite dark and quite minimal. Um, but, he, he, yeah, he's brilliant. Um, so we're, we're if, if, we, if we're now at modern day, and you've had this, like you say, this self-described kind of torment over the last few years and yeah are you, are you happy today do you think the void this new series you're doing with us is is a nice new thing for you to get your teeth into a little bit and just sort of explore a different side of me yeah i'm conscious that i i tend to get very excited when i start something new and then i'm like all right you know six months in you know it's still going great after a year i'm like okay i'm a bit bored now i want to move on and do something else that was kind of the whole point of me doing this because it's not, it's not me playing house. It's not me playing breaks. It, it's it's not me. You know, like you you know from, Defcon stuff that we've done, I love my electro. Yeah. But I've got to be in the mood. I've got to be. I buy. I buy a lot of it, but I've got to be in the mood for it. Yeah. Um, with a void, it's like it doesn't matter what mood I'm in. I've got music. That I, that fits, that particular point in my life. So for me, it's it's more a, you know, put something together that doesn't even need to be a mix. I mean, I think I, I might I might share it around kind of more sort of public consumption, but there was that, that hour and a half mix that I did for, for you and the other Progressive House residents that was like, I didn't even mix that. No. I just literally put it in. The and that sh- for me, in, that showed the power of the music. It's yeah, still, it's still alone. because that was, that was almost like the tester to be like, okay, can... Can this work if I mix it, but also if I actually, I don't want to do a mix this month, but I still want to present some music. Will it? Will it still work? And will it actually yeah. stand up? I am. Um, I'm really pleased that you that you're still, you know, getting your hands dirty in 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 music. I think you and I have both over the last couple of years been very busy DJs. I see your name appearing all over on people's artwork. You know, guest mixes. For a long period, I've obviously run kind of my own stable, if you like, my own output. So I'm not caught up in in other people's schedules. Yeah. But you work really hard, Nick, and I think that for anybody listening today who's maybe had a bit of a taste about, because I think you and I could talk for, forever about music. Um, you know, people listening to this really need to kind of give you a try because I know. I know DJs and I know you come from a different angle and there aren't many people who do do what you do with music with a kind of it with an integrity you know there's an oh, integrity that's very nice of you to yeah yeah well, I think that's I'm going to start I'm going to start crying now well don't don't that would be that would be too much and the dog will growl at you when you go out yeah it probably will but I think that that's a fair comment I think that you do put a lot more into a mix than than just trying to whip it out and I think that really 
we owe it to ourselves as DJs to probably concentrate on a mix. Yeah. Whether it is four four, what break, whatever it yeah. is, but certainly the stuff you've done with me has always been well considered and when maybe I stop my output, I'll have all these amazing mixes to go back to that are basically just in the very essence of DJs getting together and going, oh, I like you, you like me, listen to this good listen music. This. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I feel, oh, that's very emotional. That's very nice of you to say. I love music. It's It's got me through some of the darkest times of my life, some of the happiest times of my life. I know it's that safety net, so I kind of, I almost owe it to, I owe it to myself, but I think I probably owe it to someone who's going to just, you know, be happening to press play on SoundCloud or YouTube or wherever um, in five years' time to present something that it's not just, you know, whipped together in half an hour and yeah. pushed out for public consumption. I owe it to, you know, to the person that actually made that piece of music to, in, in my own way, kind of be like, okay, this is how I would interpret it and this is how I would present it. Even though, I mean, I've got no musical skill. You know, I can't play any instrument. Well, I can play the xylophone, but that's not really... <laughs> that's not really... Not really the same I've thing. I've got to see that. <laughs> Please, no. Bring it um, <laughs> But, um, oh, I do mean triangle as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've I just... I, I'm still... I'm fascinated by music and the different ways that music goes and the different ways that music makes people feel. And I'm like, if I... If it makes me feel a certain way and I can help other people feel a certain way by sharing... Yeah. that piece of music then I, I owe it to myself and, and, and whoever else is listening to do that well I mean it, it's just really dawned on me that what we're doing is the thing that that person that you didn't have access to when you were younger did for you which yeah. is give you music that you've not gone and found yeah. that you like and it's a gift really Um you know, I like I said that the, the the void the void thing. I just I listened to it. Loved, just loved the the lead from that ambient into drum and bass. Just perfect for me, and that really is is what I mean by saying about the integrity. Because it's a get. It is a gift when you give somebody a mix that they've not had to buy the music. Certainly not had to spend the time in this age looking for. Yeah. So listen, Nick. Um, thanks very much for for chatting. Oh, well, um, thanks for having me. We could we could go on for like we could. It, it, yeah. We'll drop some of the links on for people. We'll make sure that everybody knows about the Void, which is your show. Yeah. Um, goes out on what's it subcode? Um. Yeah. So it'll obviously you have first dibs. Um. For the for the first month or so, so it'll always be exclusive to you, and then the month after it'll go out on subcode. Lovely. Um. You know to to sort of share on on there. Yeah, and reach more people. Um. I'm not going to put it on my own SoundCloud or anything like that so on online it's exclusive to Progressive House UK lovely and it, and it will be for as long as I'm doing it cool so. well great to have you around Nick yeah thank you very much mate. yeah and uh, yeah we'll catch up soon and uh, see I, what you're um, up to I probably owe you, a, owe you a mix of some like naughty's housey weird stuff as well something so. in that bag <laughs> <laughs> right cheers Nick thanks Danny see you again <laughs>